They called him the Demolition Man. Welcome to the very first episode of I Think I Like This Movie, America's least necessary film criticism podcast. On the show, we discuss one older film that at least one of us hasn't seen in at least 10 years, and that, once we have guests, at least one of us hasn't seen at all. For our inaugural episode, we've chosen the 1993 explosive sci-fi action flick Demolition Man, featuring an inexplicably heterochromatic Wesley Snipes, a heightness of the steroid era Sylvester Stallone, a pre-speed Sandra Bullock, among others. So join us for some Rat Burgers in Paradise with our favorite new wave band, Edgar Friendly and the Scraps. My name is Noah Frank and my co-host is Will Vicka. Will, is Hi it there. cold in here or is it just me? <laughs> uh, no, it's quite cold. Um, welcome to episode one. Uh... This is, uh, as we mentioned in episode zero, which I encourage you to go back and uh, listen to if you haven't already, uh, uh, kind of violating our rules because we actually did watch this movie a little over a year ago when we were first going to launch the podcast. Um, but what was funny was I still picked up new things this time around uh, that I didn't catch even the last time around when we did this. Um, it's sort of infinitely watchable, which is which is very nice. Yeah, and you know there was this uh, sort of spate of uh, pieces that came out in like April of last year of 2020 about how like uh, pandemic life was like our new demolition man future uh, and like not touching each other and the, the sort of the weirdness of San Angeles in 2032. But uh, right, no no fluid exchanges. No right, fluid exchanges. right. But the funny thing was. Uh, funny in depending on your sense of humor uh that was all pre-summer unrest in america which is very much not in line with the saint angeles world before the terrorists were uh unfrozen at least um very much not uh the sort of placid uh nothing ever happens life uh 2020 gave us kind of two ends of the spectrum on on, on that front um but funny enough that you know even though we'd chosen this movie back in late 2019 uh it was already getting some some uh discussion and think piece treatment in uh mid 2020 um so anyway yeah if we're gonna if we're gonna really quickly break down the movie yeah i guess for anybody who unfortunately hasn't seen it by the way you should all go watch it uh it starts in Los Angeles, I think. San Angeles. New Angeles. <laughs> well, yeah, I, guess, I guess it starts in Los Angeles. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's like, 19, yeah, in Los Angeles, 1996. Right, which, of course, is only three years after the actual theatrical release of the movie. So it's already a total hellscape, <laughs> which is clearly very informed by, like, the events of 1982 and, like, the L.A. riots and, like, this sort of ex- immediately extrapolated, you know, science fiction future dystopia. Yeah, it immediately pans over a burning Hollywood sign. Right. That's the opening shot, literally, is coming in yeah. from behind yeah. a Hollywood sign on fire. Um, yeah, it's, it is very much in the, in the sort of action mold of the movies of the late 80s and early 90s, not just because of Sylvester Stallone, but lots of stuff blowing up, uh, very loud, very, uh, lots of, you know, sort of aggressive over the top 
uh, mixtures of martial arts and <laughs> explosions. So we can get into a little more of the, the individual sort of plot points uh, as we go, but uh, as you've hopefully watched the movie, long story short, uh, Simon Phoenix is uh, a terrorist who gets frozen. John Spartan is the cop who arrested him, who also gets frozen. They're unfrozen into this future, and they chase each other down once again. Uh, and eventually the good guy freezes and kicks the head off of the bad guy. And... Uh, all as well uh and there's a love story in there too which we'll get into uh but yeah you know it's a, uh, it's it has a little bit of something for you know kind of across the board um and ends i, I suppose predictably enough but uh it's really about all the i think all the little things kind of in, in the middle that, that make it interesting uh so one of the things that we'll do on the podcast is uh kind of go through a a, a few different uh categories of uh, of analysis here of, of of the movie um one of the things that that i think is it really works well for especially for science fiction is trying to kind of look at you know how how a movie like this would would look uh if it was made today like which things which things happened that that actually came true uh we, we saw there's of course the mention of the schwarzenegger presidential library which is supposed to be kind of a ridiculous line and obviously nodding to the, the muscle movies of uh, action movies of like the late eighties and early nineties. But then of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually became governor of California, which is about as close <laughs> as you're going to get it's there. It's pretty close. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and in demolition man, it's thanks to the 61st amendment that allows someone not born in the U S to run for president which of course asks the question of how many other amendments are there. Right. The uh, the image of a fluid and proactive Congress was maybe not so much so on the nose uh, in terms of, of uh, successful amendments to the Constitution. Uh, I can only imagine <laughs> what those other dozens were in the middle. Um, yeah, the... Uh, th- there were... There were a lot of um, a lot of little things that that were interesting. I mean, I think the, the rat burger thing is is something that uh, it it almost feels Blade Runner ish, right? I mean, it's like oh, certainly, yeah. like this idea that there's no more cows, but well, we're not all that far away from trying to like move off of of cows uh, as a sustainable food source. Um, and you know this Beyond is the burger of the future right well and we're still this is we're still talking you know 12 11 11 years uh into the future from where we are right now so we have not fully caught up um to uh to that time frame and there was one thing that, that i i noticed we talked about it originally which is that uh bob gunton who plays the warden who is of course also the warden in shawshank redemption um in real life, was born in 1945, which makes him 48 when this movie was released in 1993. Uh, if you take that timeline and apply that to him being essentially 48 in 2032, given when the, the, the movie is supposed to be happening, that would have made him 19, it would have made him 12 in 1996 when John Spartan was frozen. But he has this yeah. whole all these things about calling him a Neanderthal and talking about some other, you know, forgotten time 
in which he was a preteen. Like he has very clear memories of based on how old he is. Like it's, it's a little bit off in terms of the, the timelines, like acting like, like he was, you know, generations removed from this. I feel like, like they, there were a couple of misses on in terms of keeping track of exactly where everybody existed in this universe. Right. Yeah. And there's the, the old timer, um, in the police department who knew John or knew of John Spartan and makes a crack or or several cracks throughout the course of the movie about how you kids these days don't understand how rough and tumble John Spartan really was, but they are effectively the same age. It's like a weird disconnect between those two side characters. Yeah. It almost feels like there was a scene missing that where he should (laughs) have been introduced, you know, like in the, in the pre-time that they were like, well, we don't want to spend more than three minutes in 1996 blowing stuff up (laughs) before we get to the future. Uh, Like, I don't know. Maybe there was a deleted scene there. Cause yeah, it's, it's, they're oddly close considering that we have never seen them meet until the future and have no reference for that. Um, there, uh, <laughs> there's also a lot of references to 2010 being sort of the last year that anything happened, which is quite quaint <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> talk about like the big one, like clearly referencing like an earthquake in which his wife, in which John Spartan's wife had died, uh, according to what he's been told. Uh, and that's, uh, it's also funny because we're dealing with a movie directed by a guy that probably you haven't heard of his name is marco brambrilla uh he directed the 1997 film excess baggage and literally nothing else of any note yeah that was it i looked him up earlier i was like what what is this what is happening right well he directed a couple of short films but the the last thing of any actual like note was a kanye west music video in 2010 the last year that anything important happened uh and the last year that anyone was murdered uh, evidently before uh the events of 2032 that pick up in the movie um the other interesting thing i guess about this guy is that he did a bunch of well not a bunch of but a lot of dinotopia i don't even know what uh, tv credits but like He's uncredited for more than half of the stuff he was involved with, and I don't even remember the Dinotopia show. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't either. What was that even on? I don't know. <laughs> oh no, I was just looking up earlier. Uh, some of the uh, some of the other things I, we we I remember we saw this originally when we were looking it up. There was a Jesse Ventura scene that was cut out of the movie. Uh, He's still credited at the beginning, though. Yeah, but that's like extra funny layering in both the sort of uh, big, strong actor men of the era and the uh, governor connections that we've already established. <laughs> we have uh, a very strange set of supporting actors. I mentioned Bob Gutton, uh, uncredited Rob Schneider, uh, or at least like very bit role Rob Schneider playing exactly to his character on Saturday Night Live, uh, his office character where he like, comments on everybody who comes into the door uh so there's a whole slew of character actors in this i think brian dennehy shows up i think he might be like the police captain at the beginning that sounds right i I don't even know uh yeah it's 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 a very strange uh collection uh oh and and jack black apparently plays a wasteland scrap right which i which is part of the underground now having watched this like twice in 15 months i still have not noticed him in that 
yeah. in that mix. Uh, I can't imagine he must have been pretty young back then, right? Oh, certainly, yeah. And that's the uh, what was when was High Fidelity like late nineties? Gosh, and this was I don't know several years before that. Obviously, yeah, High Fidelity was High Fidelity was uh, was two thousand rather. Yeah, so that's seven years. <laughs> so seven years before his sort of breakout role. Anyway, there's a there's a lot of very over the top uh, names in this, which I, I don't think we really got into that much last time. But obviously, Simon Phoenix being the bad guy, uh, the Phoenix rising from the ashes of uh, of everything. Uh, John Spartan <laughs> being uh, very much this uh, sort of no nonsense. Uh, come home on your shield or not at all uh guy and uh lenina huxley uh lenina is of course a character in brave new world uh just to really drive home that huxley was not an accidental choice uh of, of a name uh for the sort of person who helps explain this this uh weird pacified future to uh to our protagonist yeah it definitely seems like the the key instructions to Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Stallone was ham it up as much as possible. And then <laughs> they told her just be earnest, right? Be innocent and earnest. Right. And, uh, I remember we talked about this before, but evidently Jackie Chan was originally picked or I don't know if he was cast or if he was just the, the number one choice as the antagonist in the, the Wesley Snipes role. Uh, oh, geez. which is really funny because they, there's a mention of Jackie Chan, uh, for, for the sort of, uh, moves that, that she has learned, uh, from watching nineties movies and stuff, uh, because of her, of her love of, of the, of the, uh, 20th century. There's a, a number of winks like that kind of sprinkled throughout. Yeah. The movie's at, at once very action centric, very like eighties. I, I can't call it nostalgia necessarily cause it's not, so far outside of the 80s that you can really say it's nostalgia but definitely focuses on the 80s action stuff so that makes sense but it's also very 90s in and of itself yeah like Dennis Leary plays the leader of the underground right who was at sort of the top of his comedy game I guess in 1993 and delivers of course like a, a riff that's basically just like his comedy for like 45 seconds in the middle of the movie <laughs> yeah but a, a cranky cranky white guy I can't title okay. But there's that there's that sort of self like that like winking kind of camp that was very of that era where it's like, hey, we're we're sa- we're out saving the world, but like we're gonna keep like, you know, we're gonna have fun while we do it and make jokes and like it's like it's like it's almost that like Americanization of like James Bond's, you know, like oh, I just sliced somebody's head off and now I'm gonna make like a deli slicer joke. Like like there's like there's just that that sort of it doesn't matter how serious what's actually happening is like we have to make sure it's entertaining, you know, at all times. Yeah. There's constant riffing or right. Well, riffing is probably the wrong word, but there's, there, there are constant like one liners. Um, so, all right. So let's, let's get into our bits here. So, uh, looking, <laughs> trying to remember this, this movie when, when you, when you originally watched it, what, 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 what was it about the movie that, that you liked what, what stuck with you that when we decided we were going to come back to this movie, um, that were the things that you remembered fondly. It's extremely funny. 
and extremely self-aware. Perhaps too self-aware at times, but it does not ask you to take it seriously. And I remembered when I saw it as a kid, or maybe a teenager, I, I found that very refreshing at the time. Like, oh, this is different. It's full of wink-wink silliness. Did you, do you remember seeing it in the theater or on video? I don't think I saw it in the theater, no. It must have, it must have been on, like, pay-per-view or something. Yeah, I definitely saw it. I, I feel like it was at my dad's house, um, meaning uh, I, I grew up with my mom, like, like at my dad's house on a, on a summer at some point, not in the theater, because I would have been, I think, just 10 when it came out. And it was definitely, like, yeah. a little bit after that. But it wasn't that much after. I, want, I, don't, I don't think I was any older than maybe 12. Um, but, yeah, like, like, I remember it being, like, for that age, like, pretty violent, but, but it's, it doesn't, it's not like super bloody, right? I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not in, in a way that, that like a lot of action movies of, of that era when, you know, we had these sort of hard R, you know, violent, um, action movies. It's, it's much more almost like, almost like cartoony, you know, in that sense where like, yeah, lots of people, it's get, not Robocop. Yeah, lots of people get beat up, but, like, even, like, when the people die, like, it's for the most part, it's not super gruesome. Um, no, because I, I actually, upon re-watch, re-re-watching it, rather, <laughs> since we um, obviously had to take a break, as we mentioned, um, when Simon Phoenix, Wesley Snipes, breaks into the, the Hall of Violence, the Museum of Violence, whatever right. it is, um, he shotguns two kimono-dressed guards, which I guess we should probably about that too the sort of weird japanese slash asian eccentric uh dress of a lot of people in the quote-unquote future when he shotguns them it's it's a behind them shot so you don't see any blood or anything and it's a lot of sparks out of the shotgun and they just kind of fall down it's very oldie like cowboy style death yeah other than the eye that he removes from the, the there is that right which is like intentionally quite gruesome but you still i mean it's not like you see that you see the eye like after he's done whatever he's going to do but i mean like that's no worse than like the eyes that you see in minority report <laughs> you know what i mean like it's no it's very it's it's, it's like a tame r you yeah. know like you'd cut like a few things it could have easily been pg-13 yeah a lot of the cursing right 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 you have to right tone tone down the language uh to get under the censors but but yeah it's it's uh all things considered like like i i had remembered i definitely had remembered him kicking wesley snipes head off after freezing him and and but in my brain the head had shattered which it doesn't actually it just kind of clunks down onto the the um which I kind of a missed opportunity, although maybe they just didn't want to copy T2. I, I don't know. When, was, when did T2 come out? Um, if it, it, uh, T2 was 91, 92. Like it, plus, like it close, felt, like, though, felt yeah. like a missed opportunity. But, uh, and and I, maybe I conflated those in, in, my, in my head. I, I definitely like didn't remember how, and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't read as much science fiction at, at that age as I have now. And, uh, especially a lot of the ones that, that they're very clearly trying to reference in the movie. Um, so I didn't have quite the same reference points, uh, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't really remember that it was as kind of campy as, as it was. I, I, I had a sense that it was a more serious 
action-y movie from the time and maybe it was just that i hadn't seen a bunch of them yet at that point but uh but i did i did have generally fond memories of it like that that i enjoyed it you know not i didn't i didn't not enjoy it when i first watched it i mean like you said earlier it's it's very cartoony and it does look like everybody on set is having fun they know what kind of movie they're making you know and and stallone's stallone's responses on screen when sandra bullock is talking about the schwarzenegger library are they're very funny it's very tongue-in-cheek goofy goofy fun and even the cursing we were talking about like hard r versus soft r even the cursing like has a purpose so it couldn't really be pg-13 because the cursing has its place as a reference to the future setting where what is it it's morality code or something like that you are fined one credit for a violation of the verbal morality statute the verbal morality statute statute yeah uh which which i i noticed a couple things uh, one good one bad about that which was uh i really I, I did appreciate there are there are, are conversations throughout the movie where guys will be dropping swear words. You know, it's usually only only the guys from the past who are. But you'll hear you'll hear very sort of softly in the background the the robotic voice, you know, and the little printout of of, of the the ticket fine. Um, you can find ten credits. Yeah, but just but just like as it's happening, like like like. It's in low enough and quiet enough that it doesn't distract you, and you probably wouldn't even notice if you didn't know <laughs> that it was happening. Um, but it's it, like they, they do a good job of keeping up with it to where no matter where somebody is, it's with they can be in public and it's coming off a street corner or they're you know in someone's house or whatever. Like like there's these things are everywhere. Um, the only thing that, that I that I didn't lo- love was the idea that when Simon Phoenix initially he's outside and he's at one of these sort of, you know, computer information stands and he swears once and he gets fined and he thinks it's funny and he swears again. And they, and then the computer says the San Angeles police department has been deployed now to like come get you basically after your second offense. That is not consistent throughout the rest of the movie. No one at no other point does the police get called after the second offense. Like they don't, when he again swears in public multiple times, it does not alert the police to go find him. And when when John Spartan does it, it's not like he's then suddenly under arrest. It was just like an inconsistency where it felt like just a almost like a MacGuffin to, for, for the cops to show up, you know, but yeah, but it didn't yeah, really that... actually work consistently throughout the movie. No, and it would have been it would have been easy enough for that scene, which I think is the first like actual uh, conflict scene after, after the intro anyway. Um, it would have been easy enough for them for the cops to show up like, oh, we just detected that some crazy person is using this computer. Maniac is imminent. Request advice. With a firm tone of voice, demand maniac lie down with hands behind back. Right. Right. They were already on their way. They'd already they'd already dispatched them. Like it was it, it was I don't know. It was just like an unnecessary probably shouldn't have existed in the uh, in the continuity of everything. But, you know, these things happen. Certainly with demolition. Yeah. (laughs) 
So, all right. So looking at the characters, uh, one of the things that, that we'll be asking uh, is which character improved the most in your eyes between your original watch and now, and which one sank the most uh, in terms of, you know, somebody that you remembered being more fleshed out and, and real or somebody that you remembered being, uh, you know, less important to the plot. And then you realize that they, that they actually were, you know, a, a bigger part of it. My appreciation of, of Simon Phoenix character has risen. Um, even since we first watched it for the original iteration of this, um, because he's sort of the perfect cyberpunk protagonist. And a lot of that has to do with me playing a lot of cyberpunk recently. But if you slightly changed his character to not be quite as evil, he would be like the go-to cyberpunk protagonist. And I found myself falling in love with his character. If only he'd been slightly less evil, he could have been a hero in cyberpunk land. What about uh, the one that that sank the most? Uh, Nobody actually really sank for me. I, I really enjoy all the characters. Benjamin Bratt's a little annoying, the, the sort of quasi-sidekick, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. two-shoes cop, but... Right. Yeah, I for me, it was, it was uh, the, the one that, that I appreciated more was was Lenina. Like, I, I felt like they they actually did a pretty good job of using her the same way that, that Christopher Nolan does in Inception, in, in terms of kind of explaining the world around you without without having, you know, a narrator or voiceover or being able to sort of release little bits of information about the world as you go um, so that you are learning it as, you know, as the protagonist is learning it and kind of, kind of getting used to what's different from from the world as, you know, you expect it to be. Um, and, and doing it in a way that didn't feel forced, like that felt, you know, kind of realistic. And um, I had kind of, I guess I just sort of remembered her as being uh not as useful like she's clearly the most useful cop other than him other than spartan like she's the one who helps track down phoenix and everything in the first place and like it it doesn't work like they don't you know successfully apprehend him but that's like not her fault (laughs) it's they don't know how to deal with violence as as rob schneider says uh yeah she's she's a good solid um female lead yeah, yeah, like she, anyway. like like it's a little disappointing that he like knocks her out for like the final battle and like goes and tries to fight it alone. But like, other than that, like she's very much present and and you know, uh, is like a partner, you know, um, in a way that we see more now, but didn't necessarily see that much in in the early mid nineties. I I just. Edgar Friendly just gets on my nerves more every time I watch the movie. Like I'm, I, I'm like this. Like, I know he's, like, a reluctant leader, but I'm also, like, people want to follow this guy? Like, <laughs> this is the resistance leader? Like, this is the the underground, like, guy that who's going to make a more equal and fun, fair society? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I remembered, like, laughing along and thinking, like, he was more charismatic, I guess, uh, back when, when I first watched it, but I'm not so sure anymore. For the most part, they just they raid food trucks and graffiti stuff. <laughs> yeah, like he's not the the resist the quote unquote resistance scraps are not fleshed out in any way, shape, or form. Right. They just they just sort of exist. As yeah, they, they don't really so, seem to have much of a plan other than like survival. No. Um, which yeah, I I guess they're they are sort of secondary to 
to most of the story. But all right, one of the other things that we do is is rank the soundtrack, and and honestly, I even even when you're watching this again, I really didn't notice too much in terms of no. in terms yeah, of music. No. Uh, we'll we'll get to the closing credits in a minute, but the the thing that I did notice more this time around, and and we talked about how this is kind of cartoonish. There are little flourishes in the in the sound of of the movie like when there are fights of, on like contact <laughs> there's like little like musical flourishes that i didn't notice the first time almost like the old campy batman show you know what i mean when it's like pow blam like and you're like there's like a little like <laughs> yeah there is that there's, there's definitely some yeah, and they're like they're kind of like electronic-y and like and like meant to be sort of future sounding, but it's they are campy for sure, and and like it's it's once you're paying attention to it, like you can't stop, you can't not notice it anymore. Do you want to talk about the <laughs> about the theme song? The, the closing, the closing is it the, is it the police who does it? It's is it Sting. Sting. I can't remember. <laughs> Sting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't hate it. It's not the worst thing I ever heard, but it's also not not the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, it's pretty bad. Well, it's it's just so like it's so funny because we keep talking about this sort of like late 80s and early 90s. Like this this movie's caught between these eras and like that is extremely late 80s to me. <laughs> like like it, it felt it felt like we're, we're we're on the way into you know or a couple years before, but I mean, the movie is supposed to be about like grunge era forward. And right. like, we have this very sort of aggressive explosion, explosion and like looking ahead to the future. And then sting just comes blaring through in the credits. This, like it just felt like somebody had the idea for this theme song in like 1990 and they're just ran with it. They're like, we're, we're sticking with it. <laughs> Even though this entire movie is about looking to the future and like everything we're, we're just running with, with this like musical era that, that is on its way out the door. Um, it, it, it fits with the camp. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Because they, they, I mean, they use Demolition Man in the lyrics. Oh yeah. No, it, it is just, written clearly it's... for, for the movie. <laughs> And I, I actually I just put in our in our Discord the link and it has a little image of Sting in between Stallone and Wesley Snipes. It's like he's yeah, front and center, like floating in the it's background. Just, it's just ridiculous. God. Um, so the only thing, yeah, I, I think it's like okay, we'll we'll go with the yeah late eighties, early nineties sounding thing. Who doesn't like Sting? I guess. Um, and then just full camp. I don't know. I don't have an explanation. <laughs> um, so as a, uh, I, I am a graduate of uh, the University of California, Santa Barbara film program, and we have a strangely large amount of connections to uh, the movie industry, anything from the Montecito Picture Company to uh, a number of directors and writers and actors. Uh, one thing that, that I do as a self-indulgence on the show is uh, Gaucho Watch. I'm just looking for someone from UCSB who might be uh, snuck into the movie, and you already mentioned Benjamin Bratt plays a very dumb, very impressionable, uh, very sort of puppy dog policeman. Uh, Benjamin Bratt, graduate of University of California, Santa Barbara. 
therefore fulfilling Gaucho Watch here in our first episode. Well, what what was the most glaring plot hole that you noticed or continuity er error that you might have noticed that you didn't notice uh, originally uh, from this film? It actually kind of struck me how quickly they arrested Sylvester Stallone. I, I remain sort of confused about how, I guess it was negligent manslaughter. Yeah, they kind of jumped through something. like, yeah, I think we're used to seeing like a trial, right? <laughs> or like, yeah. like some kind of, 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 uh, you know, uh, due process. On, like on... He, he goes through the effort to, to carry Wesley Snipes out of the building before it explodes. So it's like cemented to the audience that Stallone will save life if possible, even the bad guy. But then the building explodes and then they immediately arrest him. <laughs> right. Well, it's just a little too. <laughs> I was gonna, I don't know if this qualifies as, as a continuity error exactly, but both of the explosions that bookend the movie where he blows up the building and lives up to his demolition man nickname. Like it's, it's just bad editing, I guess. <laughs> like they show him yeah. like running down a hallway nowhere close to an exit and then like the building explodes and then he's outside <laughs> like like right. they like didn't have it in the budget for him to do like a like a stunt man jump through a glass you know plane and land like i don't know it's just it's there's like 15 seconds <laughs> missing and like the sort of like what we consider to be the sort of like you know key shot on a lot of uh a lot of movies where you actually make the escape like you, you don't see that in, in either one of them which is kind of funny well, yeah, some of those decisions are very strange because he shows up at the beginning on a helicopter and they go through the effort of having him, like, bungee jump to the roof instead of doing, like, a, I don't know, you know, have the helicopter a little bit lower and he jumps onto the roof kind of hero landing scene. Right. But then, yeah, he's just, like, running towards the camera with Leslie Snipes and then... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, uh, strange editing choices, I guess. Well, I was say, the thing that, that, that has stuck with me, and I noticed it again this time through... Like, we're, to we're told how big of a deal it is that any crime is happening because no crime has happened. No one has been murdered since 2010. It's been 22 years in this timeline. And Simon Phoenix breaks out, immediately murders four cops on the way out of the station. And then as soon as Huxley, like, tracks him down and they find him, everyone's, like, celebrating giddily, happily. Like... Four of their coworkers were just murdered, and nobody has been murdered for 22 years. It seems yeah. like a slight underreaction to the situation. Like instead of like, you know, very sad relief, they're just they're just hey, great, yay, <laughs> slapping also, each other on well, the so, back. <laughs> something that really stood out to me on on this rewatch was as they're walking up to uh, apprehend Wesley Snipes after he's already sort of stealing weapons and the first, I guess, well, the second confrontation, but the first real confrontation in, in the, the new timeline. Um, Stallone asks about the stun batons that they're carrying. Uh, the glow, I think they're called glow wands in the movie. He just casually electrocutes a dude's head and, like, nobody cares. <laughs> like, he's just testing it out. He just kind of zaps a guy on the brain. And it's like, that probably is really bad. But everybody's just like, okay... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I gather like, that no, it didn't. No reaction. I gather that it doesn't kill them. Like that, that's part of the thing. Is it's like non-lethal, but like right, <laughs> like any any force at all, it's 
it's made to sound like it's like it's a huge deal then in actuality it isn't like we right. see it um all right what about your uh uh most indicative kind of of the time and, and era references anything anything really stand out as as just being extremely 1993 even though this is supposed to be in the future a lot of it's the it's the throwback stuff plus obviously taco bell as the megacorp you know taco bell i mean it's it's kind of made a strange comeback because it's i guess it, it's it's social media presence like has sort of taken over recently but there isn't anything turbo 90s about it except for kind of all of it it's hard to like pinpoint one thing well it's a sylvester stallone movie with a lot of shorts with some schwarzenegger jokes rob schneider i mean it's it's not only of its time, but I think it does a pretty good job of, of just being broad appeal. What can I say? I'm a blast from the past. <laughs> Should have stayed there. I, I suppose Rambo has is still like culturally relevant on some level, but there was there was the excuse me, Rambo, I need to borrow this line. Oh, that, that, yeah, that, that, the... that felt very sort of of the moment to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, I I'm actually impressed with with how many things really kind of are. That, that seemed over the top even like that were meant to seem over the top have kind of come along i mean anything from the fact that like all of the songs are just commercial jingles which obviously is still over the top to a degree but at the same time like there are people who like will sing the geico songs you know what i mean like the songs oh, yeah, that are yeah. just in geico ads and like like that's like a thing now uh all the way to like the fact that it was really one of my favorite things is that the after the the franchise wars and taco bell being the only restaurant uh they're literally eating like a tasting menu at taco bell <laughs> like like that's yeah that's pretty spot on not for taco bell but for like the trends of fancy restaurants like like that wasn't really a thing in the early 90s like small even like those beyond small plates those were like single bite <laughs> servings of things uh which is extremely uh modern in terms of of the idea of kind of you know high cuisine and everything yeah i think it did a, it does a really good job generally of nailing the aesthetic um you know it even i i, I had sort of texted you about this earlier actually the the one thing it gets wrong but also kind of right is that tvs in the future are vertical and it doesn't make a ton of sense in terms of like home viewing but like all the videos you see on tiktok and a lot of youtube videos they are vertical so it kind of makes some sense in that way i guess they didn't think that every home would have a i guess we're talking still talking about like a four by three era in 1993 but the widescreens aren't really there, but the verticality of what you look at is. Um, but they don't really, they don't overreach, I guess. Sure. Well, I was, was going to say, uh, talking about media, there's like, this is this is a good example of something that they kind of got right, but also feels extremely informed by like the early 90s. Uh, you know, the media is on these mini laser discs. <laughs> <laughs> like that's literally what it is it's a it's a mini laser disc and like she actually says the word laser disc um is sort of the idea that those would still exist in any form like we yeah we we use things that are you know at a on a hardware level still discs but they don't look anything like laser discs right, 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 right. don't call them that um but i think they were smart to not overreach to not be too predictive you know 
Yeah. So the, the, obviously the, the tiny laser discs <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but even like William Gibson, like didn't predict cell phones. I guess I think for Neuromancer, like they still had some kind of landline or something. Um, but something they did get right, or I thought was very interesting, especially I mentioned cyberpunk earlier, the, uh, the quote unquote sex scene, which is basically just a brain dance. It's the helmet that you put on and that's how you experience uh, sexuality or physicality, I guess, with other people. The exchange of bodily fluids, do you know what that leads to? Yeah, I do. Kids smoking a desire to raid the fridge. That's like a, a big staple for cyberpunk stuff. Well, yeah, and I mean, just virtual reality stuff that exists in, in you know, in our actual world. I mean, that's the, that is not yeah. that is not all that far off of, of a lot of, of uh, you know, technology advancement. It hasn't necessarily replaced uh, human connection, but it's but it, it exists, uh, you know, in, in the world today um, about as close as, as you can get. And maybe not an actual neural network to somebody else, but, but, you know, it's, uh, it's not that far off. Um, no, it's, it's, it's good. It's again, it's smart. doesn't overreach. Right. Right. Uh, one thing that, that I actually thought was, was really funny. I'm sure, I'm sure it's just not practical, but the, uh, the foam instead of the airbag, um, when, when he crashes the car and it just fills with like a, some sort of synthetic foam to, in order to, to keep him in place. Like that seemed like a not terrible idea. <laughs> Probably be in race cars. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, I don't know if it should be in, in a Toyota Corolla, but like maybe, maybe something NASCAR should look at. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Just like a general fire retardant foam. Right. So the, the, the drivers slash passengers don't. And it just like immediately immobilizes them and keeps them from, you know, getting knocked around or thrown out of the car or whatever. fun with with science fiction but if if we're if we're looking if you take it from the end of the movie uh what do we think has happened to each of the characters in this world and to the world itself in the intervening time up up to now it's not present day because this is taking place in the future so let's say for the for the the last 10 years like like or the next 10 years i guess you would say what do we think has happened to, to, to this world? Are Huxley and John Spartan still together? Uh, how has Edgar Friendly reconciled and, and tried to build a new and better world? Like, you know, how has how is this all worked out in your mind? So now that, now that Nigel Hawthorne, um, Cocteau, has been... Um, neutralized as has Simon Phoenix. I don't think that a lot's going to really change. Um, I think they'll just sort of keep on keeping on because what was, was there any real threat to the stability beyond uh, Dennis Leary? Who's now, I guess, topside. I mean, yeah, you have these people living underground, but it wasn't really clear why. Like, <laughs> right. like, yeah. like were they poor and therefore they were just like not allowed to, to be above ground like it wasn't clear what it was about them 
that made them be underground. Uh, I would so I would right exactly. I would assume that John Spartan and Lenina are are still together because obviously they got a thing going on and they like each other and they're learning. The whole movie's like wink, wink, nudge, nudge about them learning and to, to accept each other, that kind of thing. Um, I could see John Spartan being in charge of the police department or something, or maybe run for mayor. Um, but I think things would slowly improve. Maybe they accept the past because now you got John Spartan learn from it a little better, new training for the police. But I think it would be super minor changes. I could, I could see it falling apart a little bit. Um, just without the sort of cult like figure at the top, you know I mean? If it was a little more kind of do whatever you want, like, like, for for better and for worse, I could see it being, you know, closer to today than what it what it was, you know, in in the sort of pre unfreezing twenty thirty two. Um, I would but, I would assume that things do get relaxed a little bit, yeah. But yeah, but it's hard to come back from like an all encompassing sort of uh, surveillance state, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, that is one of the creepier things about it. Right. All that infrastructure is definitely still in place. Um, hard to imagine that going away you know i mean spartan's first rule would probably be to repeal the cursing tickets right (laughs) you know (laughs) um whether whether or not any of that happens within 10 years after the end of the movie i'm not sure but I i would assume that the society relaxes a little so in our own world uh in 2021 uh, is this a movie that you think could still get made today? Yes, but I am concerned that it would be done poorly. Like they might go too over the top. We mentioned that how it's like very cartoony violence. Like it's it's definitely a soft R. It's mostly an R for the I think for the cursing. Of course, Wesley Snipes getting his head kicked off at the end. That's going to get you an arm, but um, right. I would be I would be afraid of another director taking this and saying, "Okay, let's let's have this idyllic society contrasted with heads exploding or something." I think this works because it's a soft R, and that the the brutality and the violence of the you know the the savages as. Uh, one of the characters calls John Spartan isn't really that intense that someone trying to remake this in 2021 would say, ah, let's just have blood everywhere. And that, that would cause it to lose a lot of its charm, I think. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, at that point they were looking, you know, from 1993, uh, effectively 40 years into the future. Um, you know, looking 40 years into the future now is going to look a little different. Uh, just, you know, the way that we sort of think about science fiction and everything. I, I, I'm the, the sort of two movies that come to mind immediately when I think about this are like ready player one. And I know, but, but, but just like in terms of how, how do we think the future is going to look and, you know, is it more of that virtual world? Um, or, or like, you know, I mentioned Blade Runner earlier, but like, like your Blade Runner sequel, um, in twenty forty nine or yeah, or the original? yeah, 
and it's hard to I, I I can't I mean that's more the one that that sticks with me in terms of just the way the way that movie making has gone so much of what looks ahead is so dark <laughs> like yeah. like this is like this is dark or like you know disturbing in certain ways like like you're certainly like oh like the surveillance state and like uh all, all you know the idea that sort of fun is is kind of banned but like compared to <laughs> oh right like the world is like barren and ending and you know like like just the sort of much like more apocalyptic uh existential threats that that exist in in more modern science fiction the sort of whimsy that that you're that you're talking about like it it would it would seem out of place uh in in that tone of a movie and and i it's hard for me to imagine even looking at like superhero movies every superhero movie has to be serious now it's like like i can't imagine them making a not super self-serious version of this that that didn't just kind of suck that whole idea out of it like i don't i don't know what how you how you do that like what that looks like it's gonna take i don't think it can be made in 2021 let me put it that way like i would not ever i wouldn't want to hear about a remake or a reboot of and everything's got to be a universe now too i would not want to hear about a demolition Man universe being started uh in 2021 because yeah it would be it would be dour it would be like oh god you know what uh, now that I've said it, I can imagine like Zack Snyder has <laughs> driven the DC fucking universe into the ground, deciding to do a Demolition Man reboot or something. But it, it, it would it would have to for it to be Demolition Man and for it to be as sort of light cyberpunk as it is, it would have to maintain that cartoonishness. And I just yeah, I don't see that happening. I mean, it would have to be The Rock, right? Like, could anybody else be Demolition? Like, it would have to be like this generation's version of us the sort of you know larger than life superhero like maybe john cena but like i mean you're talking about a wwe origin guy like you're not you're not talking about somebody who's like who like started as a serious actor you need like somebody who's you know muscles are the size of footballs and like is gonna wink at the camera and is gonna like have that sort of you know, not as serious approach to it, even though like, like even like the, remember like the triple X movies? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Like those weren't even really like, they tried to have personality, but they, they weren't as, they were still more like dark. I feel like, you know, than demolition. Well, it's the, yeah, the quote unquote gritty stuff. Yeah. Right. And we don't, we don't really, we don't, we don't need gritty in our demolition man. It's not supposed to be gritty. Right. Right. But uh, actually you just nailed the casting. <laughs> have the rock play, or either the rock plays simon phoenix and john cena plays plays john spartan or flip it around like there you go right perfect right i would watch the shit out of that <laughs> do not ruin demolition man by doing this please <laughs> uh yeah i mean right but like that's that that's what it would have to be it would have to be something much more kind of and, and you know it's funny thinking about sandra bullock being not really famous back then i mean this was before her breakout roles um like i don't even really know know, she was like late 20s in in that role um but i like i don't i don't really even know who 
who necessarily fits that. I, I guess it, I guess that's maybe a little more open ended. Um, it doesn't. She doesn't have to play like super to type in the way that that like the kind of actiony stars do. You know. Right. Yeah. It's it's a much more open character. Yeah. So quick editor's note here because funny story they are making a Demolition Man sequel, at least according to Sylvester Stallone's Instagram. More on that if you're interested in episode 1.5. Okay, as you were. Before we wrap this up, uh, before I ask you the final question, uh, do we miss anything? Is there anything else you wanted to, to talk about and cover? No, I, I, I legitimately enjoy the movie. I watch it, uh, sorry, I, I enjoy it more every time I watch it. There, as you had mentioned, there's a lot that is still sort of sitting there. There's new stuff to pick up every time. It's great. It's good fun. Yeah, it's uh, it is a perfectly reasonable way to spend a couple of hours, which is kind of the idea of this this entire enterprise. Um, so, uh, like I said, I I, I think I, I have an idea already. But, uh, Will, do you still like this movie? I still like this movie. Uh, I do too. Um, it's it is something that uh, I think you can probably leave on in the background if you're working on other stuff and like not feel like you super missed anything but at the same time enough is happening that if you feel like giving it your full attention you won't feel like you've wasted time watching it um yeah it's 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 great it's really just fun good stuff yeah it it accomplishes the goal of uh, a summer blockbuster which is basically what it was all right. Well, thanks for joining us for our first official episode. Uh, as I mentioned before, our first few episodes, we'll be revisiting uh, episodes that we had originally planned out and recorded back in late 2019, early 2020. But we will have uh, a whole new slate of movies starting around episode five and uh, hopefully a whole new slate of guests. Uh, so keep an eye out. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter and on Instagram at like this movie. You can join in the conversation by using the hashtag ITILTM. I think I like this movie, ITILTM. And uh, until next time, Will, uh, be well. Stay frosty, my friend. Think I Like This Movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. All music on the show, unless otherwise noted, provided courtesy of the South County All-Stars. Copyright 2021.